Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kimpton Knight. The focus of this episode is Amy Thomason's article, Norms and Modality published in the Routledge Handbook of Modality in 2021. Is a statue identical with the lump of clay from which it's made? According to many philosophers, the answer is no, because the statue could not survive certain changes in its shape that the lump could survive. The statue is destroyed if we squash it down and roll it around into a ball, but the lump of clay survives. Since the clay can survive certain changes that the statue cannot, we might say that the two are non-identical because they have different modal properties. Could a person survive the sudden loss of all their memories? If we think that the answer to this question is no, that's probably because we think it's necessary for a person's survival over time that there is some continuity in their memories. Is it possible that there existed an atom-for-atom duplicate of you, but which lacked any conscious experience? If we think the answer is yes, then it seems to follow that the physical and the mental are not identical, and hence that some form of mind-body dualism is true. These questions, which in some respect all concern the identities of things, are approached via an investigation of modality, that is, by investigating what's possible or necessary. So modality is of central importance to metaphysics in general. On the face of it, it seems that it is properties of certain things that make statements about what's possible or necessary true. It seems as if the statue and the clay have different modal properties, in virtue of which it's true that the latter but not the former can survive squashing. Thomason is concerned with challenging this assumption, that is, the assumption that modal truthmakers are out there in the world, and relatedly, the assumption that the function of our modal discourse is to describe such features of the world. Thomason argues that the function of modal discourse is to affirm and negotiate semantic norms. Modal discourse does not describe features of the world, hence the search for modal truthmakers is misguided. So let's think more about truthmakers. The sentence, grass is green, is true. But what makes this true? Well, the obvious answer seems to be the actual green grass itself. The sentence, the clay could survive squashing, is also true. But what makes this true? Well, this time things are a bit trickier because there's no obvious part of the world to which we could point and say that it is what makes the sentence true. After all, the sentence is about what could be the case. So what in actuality is it that makes a sentence about what is possible true? This is the problem of the search for modal truth makers. So maybe there are modal properties or modal facts in the world that make modal sentences true. The problem, however, is that modal properties or facts seem like utterly mysterious entities. They don't seem to be the sorts of things that can be investigated empirically. So remember, the statue and the clay have all the same detectable empirical properties, since the statue is made of clay but the suggestion is that the two differ with respect to their modal properties. This raises a formidable epistemological problem. If the truth-makers of modal sentences are not detectable via empirical methods, how can we come to have modal knowledge? Another prominent response to the problem of modal truth-makers was David Lewis's modal realism. Instead of positing modal facts or properties as parts of our world, Lewis argued that there exists a plurality of possible worlds, just like ours, but causally and spatiotemporally isolated from us. So then for something to be possible, according to Lewis, 
is for it to obtain at some possible world. The problem here is that we seem no better off with respect to the epistemology of modality, and it's completely unclear what the goings-on at other spatiotemporally isolated worlds have to do with what's possible at this world. Thomason contends that the puzzles about the epistemology of modality and the nature of modal truth-makers arise because of the descriptivist assumption, that is, the assumption that the function of our modal discourse is to track certain objective features of the world. So if we give up the descriptivist assumption, the hope is that various puzzles posed by modal discourse will evaporate. Thomason draws attention to other philosophically interesting terms that may be understood non-descriptively. For example, a certain kind of deflationism about truth treats the truth predicate as a device for making generalizations. And according to moral expressivism, moral discourse serves to enable us to coordinate our attitudes in ways that are useful for us. What, then, is the function of modal vocabulary if not to describe certain objective features of the world? Thomason's answer is that modal vocabulary functions to convey certain rules or norms, that is, to convey what we can or must do. More precisely, modal vocabulary, according to Thomason, functions to convey semantic norms, i.e. rules concerning the meanings of terms. We can communicate semantic rules without modal vocabulary. For example, I can say, the word bachelor means unmarried man. But in this example, I had to talk about certain elements of the language in order to convey the semantic rule. That is, I had to use a meta-language to talk about the meaning of the object language term bachelor. This ascension to the meta-language is easily indicated when things are written down by the fact that certain terms of the object language are named using the device of quotation. The word bachelor features in quotation marks in the meta-language sentence, the word bachelor means unmarried man. Thomason's central claim, then, is that the function of modal vocabulary is to convey semantic rules in the object language, that is, without ascending to a meta-language, as indicated by the use of quotation, to name certain object language terms. So if I say, it is necessary that bachelors are unmarried men, this is an object language statement. The invocation of modal vocabulary, it is necessary that, allows me to convey the semantic rule concerning the meaning of the term bachelor in the object language. According to Thomason, then, when philosophers debate whether and to what extent the statue and the lump of clay from which it's made can survive squashing, they're debating the meanings of the terms statue and lump of clay. Understanding modality in this way dissolves certain entrenched philosophical puzzles. Since the descriptivist assumption is given up, there's no puzzle about the nature of modal facts or properties, and relatedly, there's no puzzle about our epistemic access to such facts. The epistemology of modality is demystified because it's assimilated to the question of how we can be competent language users. And since modality is so central to metaphysics, as illustrated by the examples at the beginning of this episode, the methodology of metaphysics itself is demystified and legitimised. This paper outlines the main themes of Thomason's 2020 book, Norms and Necessity. There she discusses how this view of modality is able to overcome other problems, such as the Frege-Geech problem, and famous problems for conventionalism about modality. She also extends the view to account for Kripkean a posteriori necessities, such as necessarily water is H2O. There's lots to like about Thomason's view of metaphysical modality. My concern, however, is that serious puzzles remain regarding physical modality. A fragile vase can shatter, it's possible to cross the Atlantic in under an hour, but it's not possible to travel faster than the speed of light. 
these modal statements do not plausibly have anything to do with semantic rules. So we can again ask, what makes these claims true? And how do we know that they're true? Are there irreducibly modal features of our world? If so, what are these features really like? And how can we hope to have epistemic access to them? In some ways, I think that the distinctively metaphysical variety of modality is the easy case, because I think there are plausible methods for deflating the necessity that bachelors are unmarried men, that water is H2O, and so on. And I think that Thomason does a very good job of persuading us that hers is the best way of doing this. But our world still seems to be steeped in modality. Indeed, various philosophers have commented on this in connection with science. Science seems to be largely in the business of allowing us to make predictions and to manipulate the world, but surely we don't want to say that our successful predictions and manipulations have anything to do with semantics. So the puzzle of objective modality remains. We can call this modality physical as opposed to metaphysical, but to my mind this makes it no less philosophically puzzling. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review on iTunes so that more people can find it. You can also share your thoughts and carry on the discussion on Twitter. My handle is at Kimpton Nye. That's at K-I-M-P-T-O-N-N-Y-E. 